And we are live with our 112th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode or welcome to another episode of Absolute Absec. Uh, we're excited to have a longtime colleague and friend on, a, on the show with us this week, Mark Pfefferman. We'll get into his introductions here shortly. Um, but uh, I mean, as far as announcements go for this week, we do have the Black Hat uh, Next Level uh, Bug Hunting Code Edition course that is available for Black Hat Europe. Uh, we will post the link, um, or we have a few times. It's going around on Twitter and other places. Black Hat's been promoting it. Um, but if you're interested in secure code review, how to conduct a secure code review, um, the process that Ken and I take to do a manual code review, because we're going to be talking about you know, automated analysis here shortly. Um, but uh, that would be uh, the opportunity that you've got to, to sign up. We'd love to have you. And um, otherwise, I, I think Ken sent out some swag this week. Maybe. I don't know. Crap. <laughs> oh, man. He, uh, was, uh, he was all on top of it last last week when we spoke. And then this week. I know. Just, right. Um, but that's OK. It, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'll keep bothering him. And yeah, I don't I don't think there's much else that that I've got to announce this week. Uh, right. Like. Uh, InfoSec Twitter is still kind of a dumpster fire with, uh, you know, politics and the election coming up. So, yeah, there's been some research that's popped up um, that could be interesting, but I think we want to talk to Mark more this week. So, uh, Ken, is there anything else that you have? No, sir. I figured I'd just um, introduce Mark and get into it. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, so we worked. So Seth and I worked with Mark at um, Fishnet, formerly Fishnet Security, and now Optive. Um, and Fe uh, Mark was a. I want to call you Fef. I keep wanting to call you. <laughs> oh, you've got Fef on there anyway. So yeah, I'm gonna, all right. So I'm gonna call you Fef. All right. So Fef uh, was our manager of the practice. Um, this was God, what year was that? Was it like oh or 2010 or 2000? I don't. I don't remember. Like, yeah, was it was about 2010. Yeah, it was 2010. Okay, yeah. So we and we worked together uh, for a bit, and you know we have a lot of respect for Mark. Um, and Mark is currently at Check Marks, and also uh, go. Actually, before I go into that, Mark actually lives or Fef lives in. Um, do you still live in uh, Texas? I do. I live in Houston. Okay. All right. I thought so, but I wasn't sure if you had moved. So, um, because like whenever, oh, you are moving. Well, just to another place. Yeah. Moving physically, but I'll still be in part of Houston. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, um, so like why I brought that up was I've, I've noticed that you've tapped into the, uh, especially like the Austin sort of Texas AppSec last con sort of community. And I think, we, I mean, most of the time when we go to, when we were going to last con previously, I would see you there and uh, it's always nice to catch up. And, um, but anyways, yeah, it's just, it's, so you're at checks marks now. Uh, check. When I say check marks, I'm all yeah. tired today. sorry guys, I'm super tired. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so we figured half on. Let's talk about uh, SAST or SEA 
Um, but before well, and, we get into that, I definitely do want to hear a little bit about Fef's background. Oh, sorry. So were you going to say, Seth? Yeah, I was just going to say, because uh, Fef's got a really interesting background in the security space on the development side and product side of things that I wanted, you know, I wanted to dive in a little bit before we get into what he did after Fishnet, um, which was more kind of the SCA space. So, um, Mark, if you don't mind kind of like sure. welcome to the show and yeah, give us a quick background on kind of where you grew up um, as far as, you know, professionally, I should say. And then we'll dive into SEA from there or SAST or whatever. <laughs> well, hey, I'm great to, uh, great to, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, wow. So AppSec, it's a uh, interesting space to be. I have to say I'm extremely lucky to, to be in this space given the current state of the world. And so it's uh, still going strong. Apparently, criminals don't give up when there's a pandemic. So uh, uh, my history is kind of interesting. And I will absolutely uh, start off by saying that I've been very lucky uh, most of my career. Um, I was got my degree in computer science at UT in Austin, uh, didn't have any prospects, ended up doing a, a spray and pray of resumes with, uh, you know, maybe some tainted truth in there and uh, ended up getting picked up by this small startup in Houston called the Land Support Group. I was uh, one of four software developers. There were 14 of us at the company. Uh, we had a product that was DOS-based because Windows wasn't quite out yet, at least not really in, in mainstream. And uh, we wrote a product called BindView. Um, so for any folks that you know have been in this space for a really long time, or I should say the IT space and, and sort of somewhat security, uh, we changed our name to Bindview, and Bindview became uh, a company. So, uh, at, you know, fast forward seven years at Bindview, we uh, grew to 750 people, and we did an IPO in 1998, uh, a $1 billion market cap on the NASDAQ. So that was uh, incredibly lucky for me, first job out of the gate. Um, and I learned a tremendous amount about, well, you know, something that's super applicable to my job today, which is really software development uh, and really everything about that, right? The whole life cycle. Um, from there, I wrote some software for Enron and was a big software developer still. But the the, the pivotal point for me uh, to get into AppSec was I got called by an oil and gas firm to, to uh, run their Bindview instance. Uh, they had paid a couple million dollars for it. And so I did that. And uh, essentially, they they had a, a a white hat hacker report something, and I would happen to be a very technical member of their security team, and didn't really know anything about hacking at that point. About uh, you know, I think OWASP must have been very new at that point, and uh, I just had happened to get my CISSP at the end of 2004 just on a whim, and so uh, I looked at that uh, issue that was brought up at the oil and gas firm, and that was really my entrance into AppSec. It was a SQL injection attack. Um, and sure enough, I went back in the web logs and found that someone in the Netherlands had downloaded the database uh, a couple of years before. And uh, that, that was it. So, uh, you know, if we talk about my, my so I did that for a few years. Uh, definitely, we brought in, uh, I'll, I'll say this, we brought in some two very early vendors. Uh, one was a company called Fortify, and they had a startup SaaS product called Fortify SCA. And the other one we had was a company that was called Spy Dynamics, and they had a product, a DAS product called WebInspect. I know you guys know them both. So uh, that was really my the beginning. That was around 2004, 2005. And then uh, you guys know the rest, really. I 
I left that place and, and met uh, this wonderful super mentor of mine, uh, Joey Pelequin, who brought me in as sort of an SDLC guy for Fishnet and for his practice. Uh, I was actually, you know, team members with you guys. And so uh, that was that was really my big, big chance to get into pure upset. And uh, I've never looked back. And I really owe a lot of that to Joey. And frankly, all of the information that I learned at Fishnet is probably the deepest and most relevant I have in this space. Uh, and it really came from, well, frankly, like guys like you two, uh, as a matter of fact, I was not a pen tester previously. And I mean, you guys showed me things I didn't even know. I mean, didn't, didn't even know was possible. So, I mean, there's obviously many other names we could talk about. Joe, Joey brought, Joey brought, um, uh, you know, me in, I mean, he's, he's the reason I was able to get off of DO. I mean, Seth interviewed me. So I guess Seth and, and, um, Joey, I would say the same. Cause like I was working on, uh, like DOD government contracting and, uh, which sucked <laughs> and, uh, just frankly, it stunk. And, um, yeah, so same deal, Joey. Uh, we sh we should uh, man, we should talk. We should talk to Joey at some point. You know, it's been a couple of years since I've seen him in person, yeah. at least a few years. So, yeah. amazing guy. Yeah. I really owe him a, a, a tremendous amount. And I, I mean, look, I it's funny if you you know we can certainly talk about how I became your manager. But if you guys <laughs> don't know the story, and I'm pretty sure you do, because I I know at least Seth, you were uh, talked to before I was talked to. It was. It was one of those uh, conversations when Joey called me and said, hey, do you want to be the, the practice manager for the AppSec team? I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, of course I do. And he goes, well, I just want to let you know that you're number five on the list. All Everybody else turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, uh, That's funny. so I took it and that, that was that. Was that. So, um, but yeah, I yeah, really it was a, learned it's, a lot from you guys. Yeah, it was a good time. I mean, Joey was a great, I mean, he's a really good, people person and technical resource as well. I, I mean, I think you're right, Ken, at some point we should have Joey on just to see where he's at, what's going on and in his space. Um, I know he's bounced around a little bit since fishnet as well, like was at F5 for a, a number of years and has been an out, in and out of a couple different places, but uh, like all of us, right? I think it's, you know, it was a, it was a really good team that we had there as Joey was in charge and like there was, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember how big it was. It was probably about 20 of us, I believe, there, right? There, that's exactly right. There were 20. I had 21 direct reports when he handed that over. And I was, you know, I was at a level that was really, frankly, below all the consultants and, and capability. But it was uh, really just a pure management job. Yeah. Um, so. Well, yeah, with that, I mean, with that many direct reports, trying to get schedules and everything going, there's not, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to stay technical at that point. And I think that was a lot of the reason that, the others that were up for that job, you know, Fergie and the others were, you know, were less than excited about it because it would have pushed them out of the technical space. But, well, but Joey, like, yeah. he had also something, remember, it was something crazy, like 90% travel. Plus, he was, he was billable a fraction of the time doing technical stuff. Then he had all the management of all these direct reports. And I think it was the cumulative effect of, the stress of that job and the amount of work that you have to do as well as like, you know, frankly, there was internal stuff too. Right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, but that job is so hard to, to 90% travel is like, I'm glad I don't have to do that. I, I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what that does to your body and like your psyche for extended period of time. 
probably less than that is uh, the effects potentially on your family. Um, right. Probably one of the reasons why I got divorced uh, was that. And um, it was tough for sure. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, pushing somebody it's so that you're constantly, because when you're home, even when you're home, like, were you ever fully energized? Of course not. And, you know, you come home and you're, you're t- trying to be around two young kids and, and your wife and trying to fit right back into that, that role. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, the stress of, you know, a lot of folks delivering work. And anyway, it's, it was stressful for sure. I, I, I was in management for about 10 years uh, since that job. And I just got out of that. And it is maybe the best thing I've done for my stress level and health feeling yeah and health and and feeling more relevant really i mean not that there's not relevance in being management i mean it's critical right but i i i'm a technical guy so it was uh, yeah yeah that's i mean that's that's hard right like coming from a uh development background and then being pushed well i mean or stepping into that management role where it's it's a completely different skill set right like and I'm impressed that you made I'm impressed that you made it 10 years in that role, right? Like this has been a discussion, you know, recently, like running my own little consulting firm has been, hey, do we really want to grow? Right? Like how big do we want to be? And like that's that's always been the the discussion is where where is that line where it becomes more um, management work than it is actual like actual technical work? Because I know a lot of I mean, for me, a lot of the clients that I have are because it's me, right? Like I'm selling myself is really what it boils down to. And the second that I start to hand off all my projects to somebody else or like get somebody else technical in there, it's like, okay, you know, while they are qualified and they've been vetted, it's still. The customers feel like it's bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And I know we had that, that, that issue at like every large consultant consulting firm has that right they bring in their heavy hitters to sell those big contracts right and then like i mean that's what the e and y model or like the big you know a big accounting firm model so i i i really have a lot of things to say about ui uh some are good some are not good but but yeah. you're right and uh i will say this though at fishnet that was a different place and i'll say it like this my team the team that i was part of you guys were all so capable. There was really never a case of bait and switch because you guys were all, I mean, and I totally credit Joey for bringing that entire team together. He built the team. I just took over a well-oiled machine. Yeah. I mean, if you go through the names there, you know, besides all of us, there was uh, Justin I mean, Engler Nathan, who Nathan went to Hamill. I, yeah, Nathan, Nathan Hamill. Hamill. Um, I mean, Greg. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Holy right. That's, yeah, that's, that's actually who I was trying to remember. Yeah. My gosh. Like, cause like the four of you did a black hat talk together, uh, building a, um, that's right. Uh, yeah, so, automated yeah. testing suite right. for, uh, iOS. I think it was, uh, yeah, that was me, Devo, Justin, and then Dubik as well. Right. All um, right. Josh. All right. Yeah. And that, a ridiculous that was, team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, was good. And then the and then the previous year was that with the ta- talk on raft with uh, Greg and Nathan and Justin and me too, right? Like, so it's like there was quite a bit of interesting research going on. Like, it was Amazing. very cutting edge. It was fun, right? But it was a lot of stress for sure, too, right? Like, there was a constant grind, and they were big enough that there was big names coming through as far as companies go, and testing, and yeah, trying to get trying to push some of those projects out took a lot of extra effort right 
So, well, it's, it's interesting to hear you. I, I I certainly have followed you guys a little bit in your your quest to. And I, I mean, I'm not really a quest, but you're, well, your quest to sort of talk about uh, SAS, but you're really your methodology about doing your assessments and stuff. And I I unfortunately haven't been able to watch one of those. I'm actually very interested to see how you guys do that. But I, you know, if you remember, you guys were doing, and I think you were on that. Uh, Ken was the 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 big, you know, uh, box provider that's in Bentonville, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, that, that was my start. That was that was so to, to to back up on that one. They, I started did Indoc. Uh, by the way, I immediately loved Fishnet joining, and for the first couple of years, it was amazing. Um, but anyways, like, uh, so that was the first thing we did. They flew us there. We sat in a room together. We never went on site. Uh, then we had to fly home on the weekends, then come back on Monday, sit in the room together again for another week. Never went on site, never saw the customer, only saw each other. And that's what we did was SCA, SCA, right? Or SAST. Yeah, but you basically run a scanner. And in fact, you guys mentioned this. I think you guys mentioned something similar in your uh, 110 episode uh, where you talked about uh, doing SAS, but also validating that they were exploitable vulnerabilities by following up with sort of a DAST assessment, right? Yeah. You, and I thought that's uh, that hybrid assessment for validation was, I, I mean, to me was a huge selling point and, and really makes it valid. Yeah. So. It's just not as it's, the dynamic side wasn't super automated though. It, that was more of just like a manual, uh, right. but yeah, it is, it is the same. Exactly. It's like a dynamic validation of what we thought we found in the code, but Sometimes it wasn't always possible, you know, um, right. depending on, right, right. yeah. So, but yeah, it was, it was a, it's a good project or, well, it was an interesting project. I learned a lot. We'll say that. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of what we teach, like the secure code review stuff that we do, right. Stems from the time that we spent, you know, all what, 10 years ago in a room trying to figure out how we were going to look at this code, you know. How are you going to get through you know? 1500 apps in a year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, using the automated tools that were available at the time. Um, and, and we talk a lot about this was like the initial, that initial assessment, they expected basically a manual code review out of the SAS tools. And, and like, and then this can kind of dovetail into what you've been doing the last few years there, Fef. But um, they had the it backwards. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really did. Right. Like it was um, they would go and scan a code base, dump, you know, 15 to 20,000 findings in our lap. And then like all we did for a week or two weeks was review those findings, eliminate the false positives. And they're like, OK, code review done. And we're like, wait a second. Right. Like mm. we've done something but it isn't what you think it is. And right. you know, this is, and I don't know, I was thinking about it as we were going to have you on um, this, this is kind of the, the disconnect that we have in the industry is um, so the static code analysis tools yep. um, or the SAS tools have been like, I mean, back in, you know, 2008, 2007, right. Like height, you know, it was fortify was blowing up and, you know, app scan source or, you know, ounce labs at the time, right? Um, as they were taking off, they were sold as this silver bullet, right? As you know, so there's still quite a few companies that look at static analysis tools as, hey, well, if I scan the code, I'm good, right? I don't, I don't like, yeah, there's great that I do these other things and I've got protections and WAFs in place and all of this. But as long as I've looked at the code, it means that I've caught the majority of whatever 
vulnerabilities are out there. Hmm. I, at least that's the impression that I get talking to a lot of, you know, I know I think you're absolutely right. So you're, yeah. you're right. You're, you're definitely right about that. Um, and I think of course that you guys know, right. It's, it's just one component in you know, the, yeah. everybody call, well, some people call it the security onion or, you know, it's, it's just another level of testing, right. And it depends, you know, where you want to do that type of testing in in your life cycle of development. Uh, I do think it's very relevant uh, for sure. Uh, but then again, so do I. I think that uh, the manual pen testing that you, I know you guys are super capable at doing is, uh, you know, every bit as important, if not more. I mean, right? You can find usefully exploitable vulnerabilities that way, whereas in SAS, right, you can find tons of vulnerabilities that could never be exploited. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's those two. It, it's kind of that, those different approaches, right? Like we we talk about applying security across the SDLC and. You know, there's a place for SAS. There's a place for manual. There's a place for DAST. There's a place for you know, everything. training. I asked. Everything. Threat yeah. modeling. Yeah, yeah. It, it all fits. The second that we drop one of those, we start to have problems. Um, and well, okay, okay. So that's that's SAS. But let's talk about your career after Fishnet, right? Like, I think from there you went to was it Fortify at the time, or is was it HP, or it was HP. Right. So I left, uh, so, so I left, uh, I left Fishnet. Um, not, I wouldn't say not on my own accord, but it got really, uh, frictiony there. If you remember who, uh, came in as the VP at that time and took over Aaron's job and he, uh, kind of ran a few people off. Uh, uh, I was, I was one of those where we just couldn't get along no matter what it was. He just wanted to show over management that he had some ability to whatever. So um, I ended up getting brought over by an old um, sort of a friend, uh, a sales guy from the Fortify days, the early Fortify days, who brought me over uh, to HP to work for the Fortify group. And in fact, I ran, um, uh, just like at Fishnet, I ran, basically ran the professional services for Fortify. Uh, I did that for, okay. the, uh, for the East Coast. And it was great for a little while, but what I didn't know was that uh you know hp and and well of course now microfocus although maybe changing a little bit um it just they weren't you know they paid a lot of money for this product they didn't put any effort into working on it for a number of years and they were trying to get money back out of it i mean you know the numbers i heard were, were really astronomical for the purchase of fortify versus the purchase of Pulse by ibm ibm was just a much better negotiator for uh for acquiring companies apparently and so it was pretty tough at HP, actually. There was um, what I didn't know when I came in uh, was that there was a whole other team that was focused on building this product called Fortify on Demand. I don't know if you guys know about that. Yeah. yeah. And so what would end up happening is uh, we would go in on site. I traveled 100% at that time. I think I did 120,000 miles a year for HP uh, on, domestically. That was never in any international flight, only in domestic. Wow, that means you traveled a lot because to it, get over 100,000 miles, man, you it, the easiest way to do it is to, to do a bunch of uh, international trips. When you do domestic like that, that has got, I mean, I can't even imagine how many flights you were on to get, hit that number because what's the most you can do? <laughs> I mean, right? It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. I, I will say this, you know, it's one of those things where you get to become uh, the one K guy on, on United and you're flying first class everywhere. And it's kind of a toss up. Oh, I love this first class and I've got to do it because I'm in my job. But wow, this has ruined my life, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have a nicer seat, but you, you right. know, problems <laughs> right. when you come home. So exactly. You know, yeah. But um, 
so I did that for a while. But what, what was interesting was, and, and it kind of the, you know, when you have a large company and there's an interesting article about HP and Forbes uh, that was a few years ago called, um, you look it up, how HP lost its way. Uh, what was interesting is we would go in and visit a customer or a prospect, sell them on it, you know, do the whole dog and pony show. They would be pumped about it. And then the next day, because the Fortify and Demand team had all of our meetings that we had lined up because of the, the public calendar, they'd just go and call up the customer and say, hey, you don't need to install all that difficult software. You can just use our solution. So we were literally, there was competing within the business unit for business and it caused a whole lot of animosity and it really turned really negative to say the least. Um, so that that actually went pretty poorly for uh, for two and a half years. I mean, it was a great experience. Um, and I will say that uh, the salary from Fishnet to HP was amazing. Uh, but uh, I, at the end, it probably, you know, was another contributor to some some bad, uh, you know, relationship happenings. And so, uh, you know, I guess uh, after that, I went off on my own. So I tried to do what, what, what you know, what Seth is doing now. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I wasn't the kind of uh, tester that you guys were from a, from a dynamic perspective. So that was never in my, my docket of offerings. However, uh, I did spend uh, quite a bit of time just doing, well, at that time, of course, Fortify was my baby. So Fortify consulting for some of my old clients. Uh, and that worked out great. And, and then I ended up getting offered a, a gig in Australia. And so I moved to Australia for three months. Fantastic country. Love that place. Would absolutely yeah. live there. If I could, I was Where? in, first I went to the capital. Does anybody know the capital of Australia? Not a lot of Melbourne. People. Nope. Sydney. Nope. Right. It's Perth. right in the middle. It's right Perth. in the middle. And they did that on purpose. Nope. It's called Canberra. Yes. Canberra. Oh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because if you go there, they literally built it because they couldn't decide. I've been told they couldn't decide on uh, Melbourne or Sydney. So they built something in between. But it's a great little college town. It's kind of like Austin. There's a big university there smaller you guys would love it uh, mm. so i did a lot of work there for the uh, ato which is the australian tax office and we were doing uh abop uh static analysis with fortify one of the few tools that could do that uh i came back for a couple weeks to the us to see my kids and then i went moved back to sydney and i worked for westpac bank um mm. and did the same thing there uh and that was great for a little while but that's really when my marriage took, of course, a, a turn for the worse. Uh, and so while that was happening, I was offered a gig with EY and I joined EY. Um, so I, we, I probably don't want to say too much about them. Uh, I will say that there are some very capable people at EY uh, in the sort of in the, in the testing side of things, uh, meaning mm -hmm. what kind of what you guys do stat, not so much static, although they do some static, but mostly dynamic testing or, or network penetration stuff. There's some really good, I think they used to be called the ACE team at EY, but very capable guys and, and girls actually, women and men. Well, I mean, so, actually let's talk about that for a second because you know, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. I think that SAST or not, sorry, I don't know why I'm saying SAST, so, like, it doesn't matter if you're using a tool or manual or whatever software. What am I trying to say? Static analysis period was not much of a thing in the consulting world. It was like a smaller, much smaller percentage. Most people just wanted to give you a URL and some creds and maybe a, or maybe a couple of accounts and just let you go on your way and do that every six months to check whatever box they're checking. And, uh, 
that was the majority of testing. And I would say it was reversed when we were, when Seth and I were at the, uh, Seth can speak more to, to what he's experienced over the last three years. But, um, prior to that, working at the old place, uh, we shall not mention, um, there was, uh, pretty decent amount of static analysis testing done, I would say. So it's, hmm. I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that has definitely shifted in my, in my opinion and, and in my experience, I don't, that is very, I don't know what you, what you all see. I don't know if that jives or lines up with what you're saying or what you're seeing rather. Do you, do you want to start off Steph? Yeah. I mean, I can give you a, a, you know, I, I still feel like static, you know, analysis, right. With an automated and manual component to it is a specialty offering. Right. I don't, I, I like, I work with a lot of larger consulting firms that don't even have anybody on staff that'll look at, look at code. Right. Um, they, they will all day long. They can find dynamic testers. Right. And, you know, with, with some of the Call it collegiate programs that are out there cranking out CTFs and all everything else along with that. Um, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of pure coders in the space still um, that have that have the chops to do that. Right? It's just like I know the you know the place that shall not be named. Um, like we always pushed for it, but it was partially because you and I were on board, Ken, right? Like as we were well, building out that true. team is okay. we always ask for code. Um, right. And a lot of the startups and companies that I get in, you know, personally come because we're looking at code. Um, and, that, and that, so that's what I'm seeing. Like, and most of the time I get stuff through partners. They don't even include code in the, in the, um, in the statements of work or even in the proposals to people. Right. right. So it's a hard, it's a hard, it's harder for me to get it when it's going through a partner. If I'm going direct to the organization, most of them are like, Oh, Oh, you want to look at the code? Sure. Right. Like, yeah, that, that makes sense. But didn't you even know, think about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, really, it's all built on code, but yeah, right. whatever. So I don't know. I mean, Fef, what are you seeing? So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I definitely remember uh, at our fishnet days, uh, static analysis was, you know, few and far between compared to yeah. the dynamic work that you guys were doing. Um, and, and really, frankly, that's why Joey brought me in was to try and I think build that effort a little bit more from an SDLC perspective. Uh, so, so along those lines, I still don't see, you know, it's hard to do the whole, hey, we want you to do a pen test. As you said, Ken, here's a URL and some creds, right? Static analysis takes a lot more prep than that. And, and there's obviously it's their intellectual capital. So, you know, hey, you know, where are you going to have this code? Yeah, some people make you come on site and use their laptops. I've definitely done a mobile assessment, um, actually more than mo one mobile assessment on site with a customer laptop in their own little room, which, by the way, absolutely is fucking ridiculous. If it's a mobile app, just consider it reversible. Like, right, right, yeah. right. But anyways, yeah, sorry. But yeah, no, you're right. Often get it was, off. it was, a, yeah. it's small. Um, and I, I see that all the time also, Ken, uh, where when we were at EY, we'd have some one-off uh, console. Actually, it was, it wasn't even one-off. So I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, EY bought Aspect Security, right? So Aspect yeah. Security, Contrast, split off so that Contrast could be separate. Separate, uh, yeah. And then EY went in and bought uh, the, the AppSec or the Aspect Group. And uh, what was funny about that is for some reason uh, they thought that the culture was going to work out for all those guys that aspect, you know, like you guys. 
And uh, yeah. Yeah, literally it was like the paper that the signature was still wet and people were leaving. Like they just couldn't take over there. Um, Is now, it, I know you can't say much, but it does it have to do what I mean, does it have to do with the hours? Because the, I I've yeah, heard that EY has a very sharp people, but that is like a, like a, what you would imagine, like a wall street shark sort of firm, you know, where everybody's like killing themselves to climb the ladder and ultra competitive. That's just tangentially sort of, yeah, stuff that I've heard. So, so it is, uh, you are absolutely, so here's how it works. Uh, the big four in general are hundred uh, percent body shops, right? They don't sell technology. They're not resellers. It's a hundred percent consulting. So their goals are to sell multi-year, uh, multi-body engagements, right? If you stick 50 people on an engagement for three years at $110 an hour per person, you know, it's a lot of money. It is. Um, and, and $110 would be maybe a blended rate. So you've got some partners that are $400 an hour and you've got some low-level guys maybe uh, that are a lot less than that. But uh, numbers is the name of the game there, right? I mean, obviously they all started off as kind of accounting firms. So when they started doing advisory services, they are extremely uh, diligent about making sure they get as much blood and sweat out of the, every resource they have uh, to, to get every dollar. Uh, and in fact, to get promoted there is 100% about sales. Uh, you can't become a partner or a, a, a principal or whatever unless you can maintain a book of business uh, on your own. Um, and that's a long road. Uh, I know people that tried for five years that became senior managers and just never got the promotion. And so it's it's difficult for sure. It's a lot of hours. I would never recommend anyone walking in uh, unless you were young at a position where you're actually be doing the work. Now, I did see people come in as partners, but they were older guys that had an established book of business. Uh, I was an older guy. I didn't have the established book of business that I could walk in with and say, here's five million dollars I'm going to bring in every year. Right, uh, right. It's a, it's a very political and who you know and and a, so you so you're a consultant and a salesperson. Interesting, huh? Well, I'm, that I'm seems not, like oh oh there. No, no, no yeah. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying oh, like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, that seems like a a real bad conflict of interest, you know, because now you're incentivized to put into place hours and efforts and products that are not necessarily what the customer might need or get value out of. You so it does seem it like a huge conflict of interest. I, I would say that's more. And, and yes, I think that was, uh, well, so I saw that a lot. And that was mm -hmm. one of the things that really rubbed me wrong. Um, and, it, and I would be sitting in meetings with a customer and my boss. And, you know, they'd have these, these strategic talks about how they were going to do certain security things. And my boss would literally have the sweep of a pen and say, and we just do this and this and this, and then you're good. And... Mm -hmm. I look at him and I look at the customer and I say, <laughs> uh, hey, you do realize that that's like a year's worth of work. That's not an instant thing. And by the yeah. way, half of that's not going to be valid for anyway. So there is, right. Right, it is kind of a conflict of interest. Um, I think that a lot of people are sold stuff that they don't really understand. Um, but that's not across the board, right? I think that that's not, I wouldn't say that's that's descriptive of the big four at all. Well, anytime you deal with a large company, you can't blanket statement anything, you know? Right, 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 right. I mean, I know some very, very talented folks there uh, that are on the same side of the business you're in uh, that sit in a room all day long. They pen test, uh, that sort of stuff. I was on the side of the practice where we built AppSec programs for companies. So That's awesome. You, you, but yeah. you know how hard that is because the hard yeah. part is, is 
if you don't have the resources internally at the company, then you know you're expecting your consultant teams like me to bring in these resources. And well, you guys know how easy it is to find AppSec resources. <laughs> oh today. my God, it's almost yeah. impossible. I mean, it's right. you know, it, it, this is actually just real quick. I've been trying. I'm working with a, a couple people to sort of build their skill set from being like an IT background with a, like security hobbyist knowledge and in, in you know in. Um, what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to help them take yeah, all of that into the app set because it's like, you know, and, and, you know, somebody asked me why, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we have a huge shortage in this industry and like, you know, none of us are getting younger on this call. We need, we need the next wave to come in and yes. be effective and do the right thing and not go to like customers and try to sell them stuff they don't need. And, you know, that's correct. Miss big findings and, you know, cause the world to, to have more, insecure software like you know we really do need anyways not to get off on that tangent no no yeah. but you're right and and so so you know what i frequently saw is that you know we couldn't put our best foot forward meanwhile we were charging the customer you know millions of dollars a year for something that i felt was going to be ineffective uh, right. again you know that was my particular experience um i definitely spent a lot of time as a manager training people on how to do very basic stuff because like you said they just didn't have that experience so uh between flying around and that it was uh it was a it wasn't a great experience for me what i would say is that the big four are great companies for people to go to right out of school the experience you can get is fantastic from a business sense you're exposed to some of the biggest companies in the world because they trust these folks uh and and there is a lot of good work done i mean i can say that my same team that I didn't have a great experience with on one client, uh, I got to be part of another team kind of in the same practice and go manage something uh, in Florida for some some big boat companies. And uh, they did some amazing work there. Uh, truly amazing. Um, just expensive. Uh, I'm kind of yeah. cheap like that. So, um, <laughs> but uh, well, let's just talk so about, let's just go ahead, Seth. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that was the question. I like what what started this all was the you know the question about static analysis and what what you were seeing. Um, right. As far I only as see it in customers. big stuff. Right. I only see it in big programs. I don't see it as one off. So yeah. yeah. And that and so and that's the interesting thing, right? Like so, Ken's talking about um, large organizations, like really concerned about their code. Hey, we have to go on site. Um, my, like most of the people that have come to me recently that want static analysis are startups, right? That are yeah. very, very hyper aware of what it's like to be online and security, like they're taking security seriously. That's and good. so they're looking for, they're looking for actual static analysis, both from a dynamic perspective and a, you know, and a manual perspective, right? Like or an automated and a, a manual perspective. Um, so they'll, you know, they, they're rolling out, you know, um, software composition analysis tools, other SEA tools. They've got, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll be looking at a check marks. They're looking at, you know, Fortify or CodeQL or, you know, other options that are out there to implement in their DevOps or the DevSecOps pipeline. Um, and so like, that's where I see the wave coming is startups. Um, I know that PCI drove a lot of that initially mm -hmm. because of, you know, 6.6, .6, hey, you've got to at least scan your code or, you know, do right. a pen test or dynamic assessment. Um, but that seems to die off for me personally, um, as opposed to these startups. So, 
I, you know, I think um, depending on the size of the organization, uh, it's still a very relevant and, and uh, uh, sought after um, uh, skill set or, 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 you know, that, that they want to do static. A lot of companies do. Um, I think that a lot of companies are misled by vendors uh, about how to do some of that stuff as opposed to stuff that works in practice. Um, and I, I think for a lot of people, they kind of spin their wheels and it's expensive to do that. Way. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I definitely think that, and well, and the other part of that is that you're, you're right. It's, it's, you know, they bring it in after the fact, right? It's not being done. It hadn't been done for a long time. Uh, I had a very big, probably my biggest client was a, a big industrial machine maker uh, in, um, in Illinois. Uh, they make big yellow machines. And, um, you know, they had some very sharp guys there and very smart people there, but uh, they just didn't, they, they couldn't get out of their own way to be effective and yeah. political stuff. And um, I don't know, static is a really different, there's such a difference between static and dynamic, not just, of course, in, you know, the understanding of, of what they do, but again, it's, you know, you're playing with somebody's intellectual capital. Some people are afraid. They don't want to talk about the cloud. Uh, and their code up there, um, you know, I think there's a general misunderstanding about potential security capabilities in the cloud. Everyone thinks it's like open, like the wild, wild west. Um, but yeah, static is 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 difficult. I still don't see it being, and I mean, I know you, you do a lot of that, you guys. I think that you've dug a niche for yourself, though, and you're so well-respected in the SaaS space. Uh, you know, I still think it's, I just feel like we still aren't there yet. You know, I think, and I said that 10 years ago when I worked with you guys or longer than that. Yeah. Well, firstly, I appreciate your kind words. Um, one, one, so on the note of big companies buying products, not sure what to do in static analysis. One thing that I have experienced and have seen, and I know Seth has as well, because we've had the, I mean, we do the course together and we've had students come up and ask this question and we've definitely talked about it on the podcast before, which is like, hey, my company wants to scan every code base that we have. Um, that equals 2,000 code bases a year. I've got a team of about four or five people, but I'm a manager. So I'm not you know, necessarily doing technical hands-on stuff. Um, so how are we supposed to apply your methodology at that rate of re- review that we're doing? And the answer is almost always you're, well, you're not right. You're, you're not going to do all of your code base. You're not going to scan all of your code bases and then do a review of that. That's, this is the silliest to me. This is the silliest part of, of how this all. And if we go back in history of the short history of how this has all evolved, I think the idea was in static analysis to quickly find flaws, period. Just run through the code base and look for issues. What it turned into was here's a product that's gonna like be your silver bullet. You're gonna hook up all your apps to it. It's gonna, hey, hey, we even we're even continuous deployment ready since someone took a half hour to write a CI CD plugin. So yeah. <laughs> boom, we're shifting left. And uh now we're in a place where people just are trying to just scan, 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 get the results. Okay, boom, no new issues or there are new issues triage and like, that's how we're going to do it. Realistically, even if you do nothing else with our methodology and our methodology is built on like practical real world 
like we do this professionally. This is just the best way that we found to do it together. Um, and in that methodology, even if you don't follow anything, you still have to at least get the um, context of what you're reviewing results on. So you need to know about the technology, the behavior, what the application's uh, built upon, who it's supplying all this information to, like is it internal, external users. So you're creating like a whole profile before you even perform the scan. You should be, right? But again, even that is time consuming enough that, um, and it, I mean, it's not that time consuming, but it's time consuming enough. And with, again, being realistic, you're not going to get through 2000 apps in a year with four, five people. So, so what we, we always try to tell people is just prioritize. Like that's where I think the value of we we've seen a lot of discussions and I'm a part of a lot of discussions with other companies as well, um, which is about self-service uh, risk assessments and, and allowing um, engineering managers or project managers or senior developers on the project, team leads, whatever it is to go in, fill out a set of questions to meet compliance, legal, trade, uh, AppSec, SecOps, all that stuff, all those requirements, go through that self-service risk assessment. So then you can prioritize. There's a company that we all, we all used our open source apps. We all know their security team members. They speak at all the conferences. They have all the most interesting stuff. And I can tell you right now, those folks are doing exactly that. They're prioritizing what apps make sense and, and, and what are the riskiest ones. And I think that that's the approach that's correct is somewhere meeting in the middle. But for some reason, we got to this point where we just, we said, okay, we have a tool. It's a magic silver bullet. You can just install it. No problem. Which is like, dude, we do this for a living. That shit's hard to run. You're going to hand it to like a team that has no clue about this tool and they're just going to run the scan. And I mean, that's, so we got ourselves into this mess and it's like, as an industry, as an industry, I honestly wish we would just take a step back and be like, this isn't the right way. Like, let's talk about the right way. I think, I think though, I don't think everybody's like that though. I think, um, so I will say this, uh, at, at EY, uh, we were absolutely a hundred percent because it's, everything's about risk. Uh, that was our number one thing was. Um, hey, where's your, you know, where's your CMDB of applications that are already ranked by risk and importance to the business? Because that's where we're going to start. And frankly, nobody no has that. No, right. I mean, that's, <laughs> they that's don't, they don't, even, they don't even know what applications they have, but that's right. app inventory. That's a, yeah, yeah. Right. That's, 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 I mean, that's why Jeremiah is doing the whole Bitdefender stuff, right? I mean, it's defined right. it's important. Um, and there's other companies that do it, but uh, definitely risk-based approach. I 100% agree with you is, is that. I do feel like there's a difference. There, there's those two different camps, right? There are the people that you're talking about, Ken, that are just kind of a, here's our bucket of apps. Let's just start scanning them. Um, I definitely also see people that are a little bit more strategic than that and not so much uh, risk-based approach. But when you talk about building a program, and at least the way I talk about it at, at Checkmarks, is we don't we don't really even advocate developers to do the scanning. You know they're busy writing code, uh, and when you talk about a CI/CD plugin, yeah, that that is a way that that people do scanning. That's a very common way. Uh, but even the, the the newer way, right, is via webhooks. You don't even bother with CI/CD solutions. Uh, you know you, you have a developer that does a pull request, boom, it fires off a scan, unbeknownst to them. Scan happens, and then you have the AppSec team that's looking at the results totally asynchronously. And they're pushing defects into that developer's regular work item list or whatever. And it's just another item that they're going through as they're writing code. Uh, so I, that approach works to me a little bit. I think the, the difficult part is getting all of that automated. 
And, and as you guys know, and from our history, right, you never push static results directly into a defect tracking system from the tool. Yeah. But there are ways to actually do that appropriately. And it's something I, I want to talk to you guys about, but I'm, we're running a little low on time. But, uh, you know, it's the whole onboarding process, right? It's the baseline scan and getting rid of all the false positives that you can or maybe all of them. And then you can kind of put it in a set it and forget it mode to a certain extent. GitHub does that. GitHub does what you just described. We do that. So yep. a, a PR so submitted yep. to master and yeah, yep. we have a, an automated tool. And to your point of there are ways, I'll just give you one way only annotate and comment on. So we have a, the tool when it runs, it has like a bot that comments and says, this oh, is wow. what seems dangerous and it CCs our team. And so that's super helpful, but also it's only doing that on high confidence. Like we feel, well, and otherwise anything else is not going to be surfaced to you as a developer and to us as the team uh, who needs to go kind of I get those up. emails frequently from Dependabot, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So like vulnerable dependencies. Yeah, right. exactly. Awesome stuff. Really great stuff. Love that. Um, yeah, I, um, so, you know, our approach, of course, is a little bit more, I say, brute force in terms of, you know, you've got to do the onboarding. We used to talk about onboarding at Fortify, and that was really creating a placeholder in the tool for the app. But onboarding at Checkmarks is a lot different. Uh, it's, it is that, but it's also the baseline scan. But we have this product, and I, I know almost nobody knows about it, and it's really a shame. And it's the biggest part of Checkmarks, uh, which is this component called CX Audit. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know if you guys know about that. Uh, but if you remember at Fortify, right, if you had to write custom rules for Fortify, it was an XML file with regular expressions within it. And it was a real pain in the ass to write. Yeah. Checkmark mm, spent yep. a ton of time writing an entire ecosystem around their, what they call their query language, right, which is mm. CXQL. Uh, and they have an actual, an IDE that does compilation and actual compiling of their, of their security rules. It looks just like you're writing C Sharp. It's a hundred percent based. It's very readable and it is incredibly powerful. And I, you know, maybe for another show, I can bring on a guy that will just wow the hell out of you. Uh, I can do a little bit, but I'm not great at it. it it's, it's learning. A, a, it's difficult. I mean, it, it's not difficult, okay. but it, it can be difficult. I would love that. Honestly, I would love that. Um, I got a walkthrough once with, uh, uh, the, you had mentioned before the show, the show, the Semmel team, they gave a walkthrough of how to like write queries and stuff like that. And that was like incredibly helpful in a short period of time. So if I think our viewers would appreciate a walkthrough yeah. and a run through of that, that'd be amazing. I mean, it's amazing to me. Uh, and we just don't talk about it enough. And, and one of the challenges is, you know, you talk about vendors and people talk, people only focused on out of the box. And right. I, oh, yeah. okay, I, I get the out of the box thing, but you know what? There's this whole other capability that can make this tool like so relevant to your code base and people don't even want to talk about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would love to, uh, I would love to show that to you guys at some point. We can, we can plan something in the future. Yeah. No, that'd be great. Right. Like anything that, well, and that's what I was going to, I was going to say, Mark, right. Is a, a lot of what, you know, where I see SAST and static analysis tools is effective is when, when the company actually takes the time to implement them properly, right? Exactly what you're saying, right? right? They onboard, they either look at the false positives or they create a baseline and then they, you know, they do everything above that. And, you know, they're, they're, it's more than just, hey, I'm going to throw something at, you know, Fortify On Demand and then I'm going to get really good results out of that so I don't have to, you know, yeah, and then I can just move on. It's I'll wait it to this. 
It's yeah. like you guys, right? You know, I can say all day long, oh, this web inspect tool or this automated DAS tool is fantastic. And, you know, oh, great. But the reality is, is, you know what? Your manual dynamic tests are way better. And yeah. it's kind of the same thing. You know, sure, I've got this automated DAS tool, but if you do this effort, it'll make it way better. And it is amazing, the stuff. I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I think it's something that's super relevant. Uh, the other thing that's really kind of neat is we've had some tools come out of the uh, the, the PS group that just happen to be so great and well adopted that we've made them, we've productized it a sort of certain amount. In fact, uh, one of them is open source. It's one of our biggest components now. It's called CX Flow. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you can certainly look at that. Uh, it's on GitHub. Um, and uh, if you look at the wiki, you can see how it works. Uh, but that's really one of the main components I was talking about that can automate everything, which is, you know, you essentially hook it up to pick your SCM that's, that has web hooks we support. And it listens for these events, like you said. So we've got this, it's a Spring Boot app. It listens for webhooks. You've got certain configurations in the YAML file for the app so that, you know, you can you can give it some specifics about how you want it to operate. But it will literally scan based on a PR request as well as uh, even push results to your, uh, your ticketing system. So I can push stuff to GitHub, to GitLab, to Bitbucket, to Azure. Uh, DevOps and it's I mean if you go through the the onboarding as I mentioned I keep talking about that if you put in the effort for that you can really set it and forget it but but you know you've got to have the people support it right I mean we've talked about this also right the people process technology you can't just have one or two you've got to really have all so even if I've got a tool and I've got it set up right and whatever if I don't have the right people looking at it the people part then it may not be successful either right that's why experts like you guys come into play so well yeah no and i'm looking at the uh yeah it's interesting i, I posted links to both uh the the flow that's mentioned which is uh, yeah i mean it's it's what you would expect right there's a webhook event that fires it looks like and that 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 uh that's triggered by a push event and then um and then just sort of like whatever however you've configured and written extensions for uh, CX uh, scanner is it CX? Yeah, actually, that's that's my question. Is is CX scan CX so, scanner same as CX audit? So there's a couple of uh, different. There might be an, you might be looking at an old repo. I didn't uh, see the link that you put mm, up there, sorry. but that's okay. If you uh, if you're you know in your search engine, if you just search for like check marks and CX flow and then LTD for limited, that'll be the correct repo. And then if you click on the wiki part at the top of GitHub for that repo, it'll give you a, you know, a really good write-up of how to use CX flow and, and, you know, it's use cases and whatnot. Okay. Um, yeah. that's yeah. I, And I didn't see that. You might've put that link. That might've been the one you put that was correct. I just didn't see it. It flashed for a little bit and I didn't really pay attention to it. But, oh you know. yeah. Don't worry. Well, you got wanted, better things. You're on a podcast. Yeah. And I, yeah, I know, I know Feth that you need to go here in a minute, but I, I, I did want to call this out, like what you said about people, right? Like I, I know it, it came up previously as far as like having the right people on board um, and the right people that these results go to that that's always kind of the hard play, right? Like I'll walk into organizations that have already paid and, and installed like check marks or fortify or app scan source. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to throw it away. And I'm like, right. But why? And they're like, well, we gave it to our engineers and they couldn't make heads or tail of it. And it's right. just a whole bunch of work. And and I'm like, okay, but like, you've already invested this amount of like, of like man hours into installing this product and figuring and out the what dollars. it is. Yeah. And the, and the actual, because it's not cheap, right? 
Um, and we didn't get into that at all, right? Like the the whole the whole expense that's around some of these products, which is right. You know, I get, but yeah, but having those results actually go to the right people, right? Like a team of you know Ken at you know GitHub, the the guys that they have on their product team, obviously are going to be able to do something with that, as opposed to you know the initial the network infrastructure guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, and the, girls, the, their security girls, team. Sorry, yeah. right? Sorry, women. women. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just- yeah. I just am always trying to be no, cognizant of that. And you should be. You're right. So should I. Yeah. And so it's it, it's just a hard, like, jumping from vendor to vendor isn't necessarily going to save you as an organization, right? It's um, it's all about those people that are actually getting those results, whether it's consultants or internal people or whoever, and and what they can do with it as opposed to, you know, how much is actually coming out of the product itself, but, but utilizing exactly what you've got here, like CX flow and CX audit to, to enable the people. That's great. Right. right? That's, that's where it it becomes really effective. And we do see it. uh, We do see it work. Great. Yeah. So I know I want to be cognizant of your time, Fef, right? Like you said, you have a, you know, a pretty hard stop here. So, um, any like where can people reach out to you if they've got questions? Is there, you know, are you active on Twitter or other places if they, you know, if they have follow-up questions? So they can uh, hit you up on Slack. Yeah. Yeah, you you can hit me up on Slack here on on the uh, absolute upsec for sure. Uh also uh you know, I don't participate too much in Twitter. I'm more of a lurker. Uh like I liked uh, seeing uh, Troy Hunt's post. I think it was this morning about uh uh, that, that our current POTUS and his comment on hacking. I don't know if you saw that or not. It was yeah. really quite funny. Um, right. But uh, yeah, you know, you can always also my email, right? Mark.Fefferman at checkmarks.com. Uh, and of course, you can give my personal email as well. I don't mind. Uh, I love talking about really the SDLC in general, right? And, and, and look, I can say it like this. Checkmarks is a great solution. So mm-hmm. is Fortify. So is any tool. But it, because it, it's really about how you use it and, and using it properly. So yeah. um, cool. Anyway, well, good. Um, yeah, because where we're all stuck at home for the foreseeable future, right? Like, um, we'll we'll get with you and and talk about bringing somebody else on to to review CX Flow or CX Audit and like Absolutely. some of the other things that you've got because I think that would be interesting. It sounds like there's somebody listening that already that is interested as well. So yep. uh, we'll go from there. Um, we'll reach out and figure out a time to do that. Uh, any last minute <laughs> thoughts then? What's wrong, know, kid? Trump. I just read the Trump quote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I quote, nobody gets hacked to get hacked. You need somebody with 197 IQ and he needs about 15% of your password. <laughs> and if you remember wow. reading an earlier one, right? He, his account got hacked because his password was you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> one. Oh, you're fired one. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, right. No, no, no. That's what it is now. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Now with oh, a capital one, Y. Two. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, this has been great, guys. Um, yeah. yeah we really, didn't have really enough time. Really yeah. Well, it's good. I, it, I love that we get to catch up with people we don't normally get to catch up with, such as yourself on this podcast. It's probably the most enjoyable part. And thank you for your time, Mark. Of yeah, course. we appreciate it. I want to give a shout out. I know that uh, you guys mentioned him briefly. Uh, you know, I have to say that I've met so many amazing people here uh, in this space, uh, you guys included, certainly the the Fishnet team. But, you know, f- folks like Jim Manico, I mean, great guy, super yeah. relevant in our space. Um 
it's just it's amazing to me how many sharp people there are that are trying to work towards uh, you know making this a, a safer world from an AppSec perspective. So, totally. I, I don't consider myself in that group. So. <laughs> oh come on, Mark! Come on, Mark! You are. Yeah, no, you are, man. Uh, but um, you're yeah. just too humble. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm just a, a single father with two kids. So, <laughs> man. Speaking of which, you're older. Your oldest has gotten super tall. I saw a picture, and I'm like, oh my! And he looks just like. Oh, it's crazy! It's so crazy! Like, it's crazy in a good way. That's a good thing. Yeah, well, there's another. We can have another discussion about that offline. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it was great cool. talking to you guys. Really, I love catching up, and um, you know, I hope to see you guys at a conference sometime soon. That's in person. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Fingers I crossed. Hope so. And uh, I'm going to try and make your uh, online one, Midsummer's Night, or whatever you guys are talking oh, about. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we mention? <laughs> we didn't that? even. We didn't even mention it this time. Midwinter's Night Con is coming. Good. Um, it will be December what 16th, 17th, I think are the two days. Two day. It's bigger. Yeah. It's got a whole team now behind it. It's crazy. It's uh, nice. yeah. Which we will name all of them and give big thank yous and all of that yep. because they're amazing. And yeah, but it's awesome. Yep. Great. So watch watch for the link. The the registration link should be up within the next couple of weeks and as well as speakers that we've invited. So it'll be a good time. Awesome. Uh, Looking forward to cool. it. All right. Um, well, thanks everybody for joining today. Uh, we'll see, we'll catch you all next week. And Mark, again, thanks for your time. Thank um, you, guys. Anything, anything else, Ken? Nope. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.